do take a seat. Welcome to you guys on the live stream. Hopefully you've had fun with Jen and Stuart upstairs. And um, yeah, I'm taking over this bit. So welcome. Good to have you with us. Do say hi in the comments if you haven't done so already. Just quickly, a couple of notices. Um, we have got the CAP course uh, coming up. These are two notices for about March time, I think. Uh, so we've got CAP coming up. CAP is Christians Against Poverty. And we are doing in March a kind of a budgeting course. Um, if you want more detail, talk, chat to Rob. Where's Rob? I know he's here this morning. There's Rob over there. Uh, and Sarah. Um, is there anyone else involved, Rob? Bernard as well. Uh, where is Bernard? Is there, Bernard over there. So if you want more information about that course, but basically it's a course that helps people to budget well. Uh, and if you can budget well, then you can... Uh, avoid all sorts of problems. And this is something we're really going to open up to our community. It's the first time we've done it. Um, Rob, Sarah, and um, Bernard have gone through some special training in order to do it. Uh, so we're very excited about that. It's coming up in March. Also in March, and I can't remember the exact date, uh, Angie, can you tell me, for Brass Fusion? I'm asking Angie. I've got a member of Brass Fusion over there. Mark, what is it? So a concert of all 70s and 80s music here on March the, which is a Saturday, okay? So put that date in your diary, uh, and that should be a, all oh, 70s, 80s, and 90s, blast from the past, so that's good. <laughs> what was that, Sue? Can you dance? I don't know if you can actually dance, so I haven't seen you, but I'm sure there'd be no complaints if you did choose to dance. <laughs> so that's just a couple of things um, uh, coming up. Um, we are continuing our teaching series called Coming Together. Can you spot the deliberate mistake on the screen? 2nd of January. It's not the 2nd of January today, but it is how to make it work. This is all about us kind of working out how do we function well as a community? How do we function well as family? So not just about us as a church, but in our home lives, in our work lives, how do we um, function together? How do we create community and intimacy? Um, in the first part, so this is part number three, in our first part, we looked at the hedgehog or the porcupine dilemma. Uh, the fact that we love to get close to one another, we feel that need for intimacy and community, and yet when we get close to each other, we tend to prickle each other with our our spines, uh, not our spines, our quills, that'll do, thank you, quills, and then it forces us apart again, and we end up in this place where we're, we're not quite as intimate as we would like, but we feel we can't get any more intimate because we tend to rub each other up the wrong way. Uh, last week, Neil came to talk to us about how to keep it real, the importance of authent authenticity and resisting the urge to hide ourselves. It's hard to be more open, more, more, open, more vulnerable. Um, and I'm going to be talking about this morning, part number three, how to make it work. By the way, we are working from this book here by John Ortberg, Everyone's Normal, Till You Get to Know Them. And uh, some of you, if you want to go into this more depth, do grab this book. It's incredibly easy uh, to read and really challenging and insightful uh, as well. But as Neil pointed out last week, actually, ultimately, we're getting this from the Bible. 
Uh, and we're going to be le- reading, uh, particularly today, the words of Jesus and working out what that tells us about um, community and conflicts. Because the reality is, it says it on the screen, when people come together, conflict is inevitable. I'll say that again. When people come together, conflict is inevitable. Going back to my sermon two weeks ago, I gave you a couple of statistics. In the last 10 years, violent crime has almost trebled. Road rage has increased in the last three years by 39%. There's been a 32% increase in knife crime. Divorce rates are almost half. Almost half of all marriages end in divorce because of unresolved conflicts or badly managed conflicts. And that's just the people who are legally divorced. I wonder how many people in their marriages are separated either physically because they live in different places or emotionally because they just can't stand to be together. The reality is, as human beings, we do not deal with conflict well. We do not deal with conflict well. We struggle when people annoy us. Sometimes that erupts in angry outbursts, violent outbursts. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes we keep it inside and we don't like to respond to it. I want to do a quick test of uh, how uh, easily irritated you are by people. It's going to be your IQ uh, test, your irritation quotient. Okay? So I want you to just chat to the person next to you and tell me and tell them what is your particular answer to these questions. So question number one. Okay, and forgive me if you don't drive, because this is a driving question. Um, When driving, how often do you use your horn? So one, rarely, if ever. Two, as needed, you know, at least once a day. Um, Or three, it's the most used part of your car. Quickly chat to the person towards you. So uh, rarely, if ever, uh, at least once a day or all the time. Okay, there's a lot of discussion going on there. Question number two. At a restaurant, how often do you complain about the food? Okay, one, never. I have to admit, I I, I will eat it regardless of what it tastes like. Even if it's got stuff in it, I have to pick it out, I still won't complain. Uh, One, never. Two, only if it's cold or when there's too many bugs in it. Or three, regularly, and I go out to my car and honk the horn until they get it right. So what is it? Chatty um, person next to you? One, never. Two, only if it's cold or bugs, or actually all the time. Okay. Last question. Okay. Last question. When waiting at the express checkout, you know, that's that one where you go with your baskets only or 10 items or less, you know, that, that particular queue. When I submit the express, when waiting in an express checkout line at the supermarket, I, one, meditate quietly or visualize world peace. 
Two, count to see if anyone has more than 10 items. <laughs> or three, look threateningly at anyone that hasn't got their purse out and ready to pay for the food when they get there. Have a quick chat. Which one is it? You got slightly longer there because I had issues with my microphone. City, <laughs> you can stop talking now. So the reality is all of us are triggered by something. Something irritates us. Something angers us. And it's caused by other people. Now, yes, sometimes we are uh, anger is caused by inanimate objects. And some things are broken in your house because they didn't work as, you, as they should have done. But most of the time, we are angered and annoyed and irritated by other people. This happens in our society. It happens in our world. It happens in the community out there. And unfortunately, it also happens here in our churches. And yet Jesus, the night before he was betrayed and arrested, he prayed a prayer for his disciples and for all believers. It's found in John chapter 17. And he prayed that, that his, all believers might be one. That they may be brought to complete unity. Why? So that the world would know that Jesus had sent them and, and God loved them. Jesus' prayer, the thing foremost on his mind, the thing he wanted to pray to God before he was executed was that we, his people, believers in him, would be unified. And yet in our world, there are more than 45,000 Christian denominations. Probably most of those have been caused by disagreements and by conflicts over theological issues or whatever. 45,000 different Christian denominations. So if you want to take God's dream of community seriously, we need to learn to cope well with conflicts. Cope well with conflict, because conflict is inevitable. Now this morning, it's not going to be quite a normal sermon, because he's going to have seven points. I know, I know. Neil, you, you wouldn't have coped with that. You're, you have, you have with three, three points. Uh, we've got seven points, so I'm going to rattle through them as quickly as possible because I don't want to go on for more than another 10 or 15 minutes. And it's going to be seven, um, do you want to go to the next slide? Seven steps to dealing with conflict. And it's going to be based on Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, which are the words of Jesus. This is what Jesus said. It's on the Sermon on the Mount. It says, if your brother or sister sins, so he's talking about sin here, well, I think you can apply this to conflict as well. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their faults just between the two of you. And if they listen to you, you have won them over. Let me read that again. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. And here are the seven points so you know where we are going. If there is conflict, just one, two, you, three, go, four, to the person, five, in private, six, and discuss the problem, and seven, for the purpose of 
reconciliation. Let's just quickly rattle through those seven points. If there is conflict, the reality is you can change if to when. When there is conflict, because conflict is normal, conflict is inescapable. And even the most passive person is going to cause conflicts, because you might get annoyed that they're so passive, even though they never seem to be disagreeing about anything. We need to be honest that there is a problem. We can't leave conflicts unaddressed or undealt with. We need to nip it in the bud before the damage is permanent. This is reality. This works at the point of initial conflict. I'm going to be honest with you now. The longer you leave conflict undealt with, the more difficult this process will be. It needs to nip it uh, in the bud. So we have, to take, we have to be real with ourselves. There is conflict. If you're thinking there's no conflict in life, well, I can bet there's someone who's in conflict with you, even if you don't realize it yourself. So replace if with when, when there is conflict. Number two, you. We need to learn to own responsibility for conflict, even if it's not your fault. Well, it wasn't me. They annoyed me. They did it. They shouldn't have acted that way. I can't believe they did that. There is no way I'm taking the first step to deal with the conflict. They need to come to me and apologize. How many have thought like that? You don't need to put your hand up. I have. And yet, we need to take responsibility for the situation, even if it's not our fault, which I have to admit... My wife is probably watching this upstairs. Sometimes I say, I say sorry even when I don't feel sorry. Even if I don't think it's my fault. Because it starts the ball rolling. It initiates that conversation. It breaks the ice. It moves things forward. Regardless of faults, you need to take responsibility of making the first move. So if there's conflict, you. Three, Go. This is probably the most uh, disobeyed commandment of Jesus in the entire Bible. It's the one I probably struggle the most with, is actually to go and talk to someone about an issue or conflict. It's tempting to stay and let it stew, to build up a case against them in our heads that we never actually present to them. Maybe we don't do that because we... You know, whenever we have these conversations, the words never come out right. I always think after the event what it is I was going to say. I've, I must have really good arguments with them in my head, but in reality, I never do. So maybe I just hold back and not bother. But avoidance calls resentment to fester and kills community. But beware. I am probably the most likely to go and have a little chat with someone when I'm angry and annoyed, which is usually at the moment of the conflict, and I respond, boom, like that. That is always, not always the best time to go and, and talk to someone. Sometimes you need to go away and let yourself calm down. Think about it. Notice I said let yourself calm down, because sometimes we go away and let ourselves get even more angry and het up about a situation. And perhaps you need to stop and think, okay, why am I annoyed? Why am I so angry? 
Because sometimes the thing that the other person has done that has upset you, that has angered you, that has caused this conflict, actually maybe it's caused you to be angry because of some, of some unresolved hurts in the past. Maybe they, it's a trigger point. They've pushed a button that you have that they weren't aware of that really causes you to get angry. And they didn't know that. But maybe you need to think about that. Maybe you just had a bad day. You know, sometimes my children come down after they've gone to bed. And I'm sitting there with my wife watching television and a little face pops round the corner. And sometimes, oh, isn't that lovely? Oh, come and sit on our lap. Let's have a quick cuddle before going take you up to your bed. You need to sleep. Sometimes I'm like, what on earth are you doing down here? Get back upstairs. The situation is exactly the same. My children are the same. Sometimes I'm reacting because of a bad day. We need to be aware. We need to ask the question, why? Before we go, we need to, take, we need to slow down. We need to cool down. But we need to still go and talk to the person. And that's the key thing, to the person. The most tempting thing for me is when I have a problem or issue with someone is to go to someone else and talk to them about it. Obviously, I'm doing it for purely um, information purposes, you know, for prayer points and stuff like that. No, actually, I just want to go because it's fun. Because I like to feel affirmed by talking to someone else and having a good moan about that person that has annoyed me. It makes me feel better. It makes me feel justified. It makes me feel affirmed that I am right and they are wrong. The last person I actually want to go to is a person I'm having a conflict with. That causes potentially huge problems in church. Paul, in his letter to the church in Philippi, said to two women, two workers in the gospel, I'm going to get their names wrong, it's Eudia and Sinv. Sintiki. Thank you. I don't know. <laughs> um, he says to them, agree with each other. Agree with each other. Otherwise, the more you involve more people, battle lines are drawn, cliques are formed, and community is broken. Which side do you fall on the argument? Who are you supporting? Something that was maybe just a conflict between two people can be blown out into a whole church split to 45,000 Christian denominations in the world. I don't know what that was. Now, third parties do have a part to play. Okay, I'm not saying don't go and talk to someone. Sometimes we need to work out how, you know, how am I going to approach this person? I've got this issue. Am, am I wrong? Is it a problem me? Sometimes we do need to talk to someone for some advice. But the point of it is to help you plan reconciliation. Also, third parties, Jesus goes on to say, actually, if this whole process fails, maybe things have gone too far, maybe the things are just, the conflict is not sorted out, actually then maybe you need to bring in a third party to help talk things through. But first and foremost, we need to go to the person rather than be tempting to have a good old moan and chin wag with a friend. Number five, in private. Use sensitivity. 
Do it in private. Do it calmly. Approach the person as you would want to be approached. Don't raise your issue with them in the prayer meeting. Oh, Lord God, we pray that you will uh, correct the wrong thinking of my brother seated on my right. My job is not to correct you, uh, my personal grudges with you from up front. That would be abuse of the pulpits. Go to a person, privately have a conversation. When I was a teacher, I found that if I had a go at a kid who was doing something wrong in front of the class, they'd be like, and they start, you know, you get them in a corner, they're going to fight back, they don't want to lose face. But actually, if I took them into the wood cupboard, um, it, was, it was like a big room, with two, it wasn't just a little cupboard. Um, did I could have a conversation with it, calmed it down, we could have a one-to-one conversation, and it didn't blow up. They didn't have to fight back, they didn't have to save face. But how often do we get people in the corner, we get them where their only response is to fight back. And the more you have an audience, the more you bring your entourage with you to support you while you're having this conversation, the more you're going to blow conflicts up rather than calm it down. Number six, we're coming towards the end now. And discuss the problem. See, we can go to all the work to go. We can do all the hard work to arrange that conversation with a person you conflict. And then when you actually get the conversation, you can't bring yourself to raise the issue. Maybe you go around the houses. Maybe you skirt the issue. Maybe you'd like to address it indirectly. Maybe you say, um, instead of, would you like to, um, you know, instead of maybe the issue, you're in a marriage or maybe you have a housemate, you're like, you never do anything in the house. I'm having to do everything for you. I'm always having to clear up after you. But maybe instead of saying that, you say, would you perhaps like to wash the dishes after dinner? They go, no, actually, I wouldn't. (laughs) Maybe you've got something in the book they call the last 10% rule, where you sit up the conversation, but you shrink back from saying the hardest but most important truth. When clarity is required, you get vague and fuzzy. So maybe you're in business, you're at work, And you want to say, you know, you talked too much in that meeting. No one could get a word in edgeways. But instead what you say is, well, wasn't it difficult to have a good conversation in the meeting? Well, I didn't have a problem. It was fine. We need to be clear. We hope they will get the hint. But inevitably, they do not. There is a general framework uh, in the book, which I'll just read to you quickly, of how to uh, go that final 10% uh, and get clarity where it is uh, needed. Describe clearly what you observed. You weren't really listening to me. Be clear, be direct. Two, explain how it hurt you. I found myself feeling that I don't matter to you. Three, tell them what the consequences have been. This could cause distance in our relationship, and I don't want that. Therefore, ask for the change you would like. I want to connect when we're together. It's really important to be clear. And lastly, number seven, for the purpose of reconciliation. That is what we're aiming for in all this. So I know some people, and you probably know some people too, who would say, 
I am great at dealing with conflict. I say it as it is. I call a spade a spade. Well, actually, in reality, a lot of the people that say that are just rude and obnoxious. Actually, the reason they're good at conflict is because they like conflict. They don't do it for reconciliation. They do it to be heard. They do it to assert their rights, to say what they want to say. And actually, that just causes even more problems. The aim, the purpose of all of this is to bring about reconciliation, not score points. Because the reality of all this is conflict, as I said, is inevitable. But we can deal with it well because conflict is a good thing. Because conflict brings about change. If nothing is ever raised, if no one ever has an issue with anything they then um, bring to someone, then we never change anything. And change helps us to grow, to improve, to be better, to be better people, to be a better church, to be a better community. If you are the per- we've talked about approaching someone about conflict with a criticism. But maybe you're on the other side of the coin. Maybe it's you that someone's coming to with an issue, with a difficulty, with a conflict, with a criticism. And we need to learn to be humble. Because in all criticism, there is some truth. Now, maybe a very little bit of truth. Maybe a lot of truth. But in all criticism, there is some truth. Are we humble enough to hear it? And are we brave enough to say it? Are we humble enough to hear it? And are we brave enough to say it? We're going to spend some time, uh, before we move into the time of communion, and just reflecting on this. I'm probably setting myself up. I'm going to have loads of people queuing up with me to raise issues and difficulties, but never mind. Uh, But you're going to have to spend some time, just for a minute or so, just to reflect on some questions that will come up, and just use this time to listen to God, to listen to your heart, and to maybe think, maybe I need to respond uh, to an issue or someone. So let's spend some time listening to these questions. What characterises your approach to conflict? Avoid it at all costs. I can face it, but I don't like it. A good argument clears the air. Or I do conflict recreationally. What irritates you and triggers your anger? Why? Is there any unresolved conflict in your life? If so, Ruthlessly decide to seek to resolve it.